Um, as we, we come to God's word this morning from Genesis 18, we're, we're going through the life of Abraham, uh, and we come to uh, what is a, a really striking, I think, and, and remarkable uh, encounter in the, the life of Abraham. Uh, and so let's, let's read together from, from Genesis 18, uh, verse, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 15. And this is God's word. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour kneaded and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of the women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is nothing too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God stands forevermore. I suspect if, if we went out on, on the streets this morning and, and did a little survey and we asked people, what, what do you think is the, the number one problem in all the world? Uh, I suspect we'd get quite a lot of answers to that, wouldn't we? Uh, probably very different ones. Uh, maybe even in this room, if I went around and asked you that question, we'd get uh, various answers to that. I suspect many people would point to uh, the wars that are going on and that we need to, to just find a way to, to, to get along with one another. Some would certainly point to, to economic issues and concerns. Many would point to, to the environment, wouldn't they? Uh, others to, to various social issues. But I feel quite confident in telling you this morning that the, the number one issue, our, our main problem that we, that we have to deal with as, as people, as, human, as humans, is is how do we relate to God? Or, or even how does God relate to us? I believe it was, was Richard Dawkins who said that, the, that, that it's religion that, that poisons everything. That the number one problem in our world is that, is that people believe in, in God at all. In some ways, that's, that's kind of the, the opposite side of, of the same coin. He's, he's seeing the same problem. Most religions look to God as as uh, either a, a hard taskmaster 
or someone who's sort of there to just kind of give us whatever we want. No one can really agree with, with on, on how to please uh, God. Uh, no one can agree with what, what the rules or the laws are. Richard Dawkins says we should just get rid of the concept of God altogether, that it would make life a bit easier and a bit better. No one can agree how we relate to God or how God relates to us. But the whole point of Genesis is that our relationship to God is, is broken by the fall. And we have no idea how to fix it. And what we see in the, the life of Abraham, and we see it particularly today, is that, that actually it's, it's God who is the one who has to fix it. We broke it. But he's the one who fixes it. He's the one who, who reaches in and, and relates to his people in deep and profound ways. What we've seen in the last few weeks is that God uh, makes our relationship to him secure through, through covenant promises. And a covenant is a, is a powerful bond. It's, it's uh, uh, promises between uh, two parties. In the, the uh, ancient Near East, the time where, where Abraham lived, it was often uh, a treaty between two kings with, with serious implications if, if the, the treaty was broken. But in the modern church, we, we often overlook the covenants, or, or if we do take notice, we, we then overlook the implications of the covenants for us in the rest of the Christian life. We often look at, at the Christian life as, as God has saved me in Christ, and now um, my job is to try and be uh, obedient to him. And that's not completely untrue. But actually what the, the covenants provide us with is, is a certain security. There's a certain depth to, to the relationship. What the covenant says is that, that God has saved me in Christ. And I am so bound to him through Christ Jesus my Savior. That there is, is nothing and no one, uh, not even my own sin, that can separate me from him. And that's the, the foundation of the, the, our entire relationship with God. And this is what I, what I, I want us to see today, that the, the covenant that God has entered into with Abraham is what defines the entire relationship of, of Abraham and Sarah to, to the Lord God Almighty, the great God of all creation. How God relates to Abraham and how Abraham relates to God is, is, is actually beautiful and it's wonderful because it's been secured in God's promises. You see, the covenant is absolutely critical to how we, how we relate to God and how he relates to us. I said last week that, that a covenant is sort of like a, a marriage bond between a man and a woman. The, the bond is formed in, in marital promises that define the entire relationship for the rest of the life of the, the man and the woman. The same is true as we, we see this morning in how God relates to his people. He doesn't relate to us as, as a cruel taskmaster, giving us a, a set of rules to live by. If we can keep enough of them, then, then, then he'll treat us well. He isn't sitting distantly up in heaven, looking down, waiting to, to zap us if we get something wrong. Rather, he's a God who, who enters into our world and he invites us into loving interaction with him where he can mold us and shape us by his tender love and grace. This is what we see this morning in our passage in, in, in two ways. So just two points for us today. 
First, we see that God graciously walks with his people. And secondly, we see God patiently bears with us, even in our unbelief. So first, let's see that God graciously walks with his people. God, God does something surprising at, at the open of, of our passage this morning, doesn't he? He, he turns up in bodily form. Uh, with these other two guys with him. If, you're, if you've read this story before, if you, you've been around the church for some time, you, you might have heard uh, some people speculate maybe that, that these were the, the three persons of the Trinity. I don't believe that's the, to, that, that's the case here. I think it's, it's the Lord God and, and two of his servants, uh, angels perhaps, uh, taking on a, a, a human uh, form. Uh, that's really an aside, though. The, the better question that we should be asking is, what's God doing walking through the land of Canaan? Why does he, why does he kind of inexplicably uh, turn up uh, at this place? I think, he, I think he does it to give Abraham and, and to give the rest of us an explicit picture of how he relates to us and actually how we're to respond to him. God reveals here that he is, is not a distant God, that he is God most High, that he's, he's the creator, he's the one who, who transcends above creation, but he's also present and active in this, his world. And there's no other God like him, is there, in all the world? You either have, uh, in, in Abraham's day, these, these little idols that, that existed within the world, but, but they weren't transcendent, they weren't the great gods above it all. Or you had a great distant gods that, that were hard to know or to define or understand. This, this is a God who's both transcendent, but he's also he's intimate. He's, he's present with us. So when it appears that God is randomly walking through the land of Canaan uh, with his two mates, what that tells Abraham and what it tells us is that he's in fact nearer than we often think. That we're never uh, off on our own when we're in a covenant relationship with God Almighty. But did you notice how Abraham responded to God? First of all, he, he recognized the Lord for who he was when he saw him. And he, he runs out to meet this man. In, in the ancient Near East, an, an elderly man of, of Abraham's stature in society doesn't run out to meet anyone. That would, that would be beneath his, his dignity. And so for Abraham to, to do this, to, to see these men passing by and to run out to them, it indicates that, that Abraham recognizes the, the three, these, these three exceptionally important men for who they are. So he goes to them and he, he begs them not to simply pass by, but to, to come and, and to, to stay a while, to rest among his tents during the, the heat of the day. And then the hospitality that is shown is, is absolutely exceptional, isn't it? Abram pulls together uh, the full resources of, of his not insignificant household, doesn't he? In order to prepare a meal for these men. He follows uh, very stringently the, the pattern of, of the, uh, well, the highest pattern of, of ancient hospitality. You know, this is equivalent to if, if uh, you know, the, the king said he was coming round to your house. Uh, or you saw the king passing by, and you said, "You know, uh, your your Majesty, don't don't just walk by. Come in for come in for a tea, uh, you know, and a, and a biscuit. Uh, maybe you'd even you know run out to the shop to buy some better tea or biscuits than what you had 
uh, on hand. Maybe uh, you go in and you say, uh, just, give me, just give me a moment, and you start trying to, to bang, you know, bang together some scones to, to throw in the oven, or scones. I don't know which one it is. Uh, but, but, you know, it, it, it's a big deal. Like Abraham turns his entire day and his entire household upside down in order to welcome his sovereign. And the question we should be asking ourselves is, what, what kind of welcome do we offer the Lord in our own lives? And some of you maybe are going, but Rob, the Lord doesn't walk through Britain in this way. Well, he doesn't. Despite what the song Jerusalem suggests, he, he doesn't and Jesus didn't. But Jesus told us that, that he would be present with us through the, his Holy Spirit, that he would send his Spirit to abide with us, that he would not leave us uh, alone or as orphans. You see, God is still the, the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And in the New Covenant, he, he visits his people and he abides with his people through the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. And our hospitality towards him looks, looks very different, perhaps, than, than it did with Abraham. But, but the point's the same. We should, we should first and foremost desire that the Lord would, would stop and abide with us. And when he agrees, we should pull out all the stops to welcome him. Now, what does that look like? I suspect you're going to hate this, because when, when a minister starts talking about practical things of faith, you want things that are going to solve all of your problems. But that's not, that's not what we have. Uh, in fact, ministers are, are often taught in seminary not to always make our application read your Bible and pray. But actually, that's the application today, I think. We should, we should read our Bible and pray. Because how do we, how do we settle down with, for, for fellowship with the Lord God if we, if we don't do so through, through knowing and understanding the word that he's spoken and if we don't open our hearts to him in prayer? It seems incredibly simple, doesn't it? But I know uh, all of you here, and I, I know that you all live very busy lives, that you don't have a lot of time uh, on your hands, a lot of free time or spare time. So actually, that's, that's quite a sacrifice to, to suggest to you that, that you should spend time uh, in God's Word and, and, and in prayer, that that should be one of the, the, the great emphasis of, of your life uh, each day and every week. That's, that's a big ask. It's almost like asking Abraham to, to overturn his household for an afternoon in order to, to welcome the, the sovereign Lord as he passed by. We spend time in God's word and we spend time in daily prayer because we want to, like Abraham, invite God to stop a while and to abide with us. What we think we're we what we, what we often think we we're longing for in, in life are, are solutions, practical solutions to to our difficult problems. But actually, what we really desire and what we really need is for God to be present and to abide with us. What the Word of God is is saying to us this morning is that that like Abraham here, the Lord God is is passing through our midst. Do you want Him to stop and abide with you? His covenant people should. Our longing should be to be near to the Lord. How, how is he passing through, you ask? He's passing through by his Holy Spirit. And how can you welcome him? Well, through his word, through prayer, through praise as we've sung this morning.
through even, dare I suggest it, laying aside your work for one day out of seven in order to worship him together with his people. To, to lay aside that physical work and labor to, to rest spiritually in the Lord God Almighty. The character of a covenant-making God is such that, that he actually longs to abide with his people. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? In Abraham's day, he expressed, uh, Abraham expressed his welcome by responding in a way that reflected his culture. He pulled together uh, all the resources of, of his household to show hospitality. I think in our, our culture today, that what's, what's a better way of, of showing and welcoming God than by giving him the, the scarcest resource at our disposal, which is a bit of our time. It may turn your, your day upside down a bit, like it did for Abraham and his household. But if we value the presence of God as Abraham did, and we, we should value it, then we can lay aside these things in order to, to embrace the, the word of God and his presence among us. But secondly, what I think is remarkable here is not only the, the way that Abraham uh, welcomes the Lord or that the, the Lord would, would take the time to stop and be with him for a while. But what's incredible is to, to see how God uh, interacts with Abraham's household, which is what we see in our second point this morning, that God uh, patiently bears with our unbelief. I think we start to get a, a sense of uh, the, the purpose of, of the Lord's visit in, in 9 through 15. Yes, it was just to, to be near to, to the one that he's, he set his affections on, that he's, he's entered into covenant with. But we also hear the Lord uh, caring for and inquiring for uh, uh, over Abraham's household. The Lord inquires about, uh, about Sarah, doesn't he? And she's in the, the tent overhearing uh, the conversation that her husband is having with, with uh, the, this man, the Lord God. And knowing she's there, God says in verse 10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, this isn't some new revelation, is it? Uh, God had made this, this promise to Abraham uh, several times before. Uh, it's not entirely, entirely clear, but I think it's, it's fairly safe to say that that this is the, the first time that God had, had said it within the earshot of, of Sarah. But Sarah surely would have known about the promise. In fact, she indicated that she did uh, a number of weeks ago uh, when she uh, uh, sought to have uh, her, her servant Hagar uh, bear the child of promise on her behalf. What's revealed next, though, is, is really important. Because it appears that Sarah didn't believe the promise God had made. It looks like, in fact, that she, she'd given up on the promises. We, we might argue that she's, she's even stubborn in that, that unbelief at this point. Uh, you know, back when she, when, when, when she had uh, attempted to have a, a child through, through Hagar that she could claim as, as the child of promise, we see that blow up in her face and, and, and really uh, blow up in Abram's face as well. Then we have here her response to God's promise. He said he'd return in a year's time, and Sarah would have a son. And then look at verse 11 and 12. Now Abraham and Sarah were old. They were advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out, 
and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure. Uh, now the way this is written is, is it's intended to, to leave absolutely no doubt in our minds that Sarah couldn't have children. You and I are, are meant to sympathize with Sarah, not, not to judge her. That's why we, we have such a clear and, and, and explicit details regarding the state of her womb. She was no longer fertile. Sarah knew that. So she hears this promise made by this man that, that her husband has gone out of his way to, to welcome uh, into their household. And she laughs to herself. And it's the, the laughter of derision. It's the laughter of a, a person who, who doesn't grasp God's power rightly. It's the laugh of, of brokenness. Of a woman who has longed for children and, 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 and suffered disappointment in all of her efforts. It's a laughter of, of sadness and, and, and cynicism, isn't it? Sarah even goes so far as to, to lie about and to deny her laughter, doesn't she? I wonder if we can sympathize with, with Sarah this morning at all. We want to think we're like Abraham, don't we? The one who believed and, and followed God by faith. But many of us come at, at faith a lot, a lot like Sarah. We struggle to, to measure God's power rightly, and thus we, we struggle to, to believe the promises that he's made to us. We ask ourselves, can God really love me when I've suffered the, the things that I've suffered, when I've experienced so much brokenness and, and disappointment in life? Many of you have. Can God really forgive me when I've, I've done the things that I've done, when I've thought the things that I've thought, or said the things that I've said, or looked at the things that I've seen? Or, or loved the things that I've loved? Can, can God really bring life to, to hearts that have, have run dry in the deserts of this life? I love how Sarah asks the question. It's the question that every heart in this room is asking. After I am worn out, shall I have pleasure? And the beautiful thing that we, we see this morning is that God enters into our broken world. He walks with us and he, he bears with us and he, he ministers to us in our unbelief, but not always in the way that we expect. Look at verses 13 and 14. This is, this is all God has to say about it, really. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. How does God respond to doubt and unbelief? He asks the questions that need asking, and he makes promises. It's not a lot, is it? There's even a, a bit of a rebuke, isn't there? Why did Sarah laugh? But then there's the central question is, is anything too hard for the Lord? And that's the question that we all have to wrestle with. It's the question that we all have to square ourselves with. It's the, the question that brings us back to, to what we truly believe about, about the character of God Almighty. And it's a question that we should, we should take our time with. We shouldn't answer it rashly, but give careful thought to it. 
Sarah shows us here that that there's there's no easy journey through this world and that, that God doesn't always offer instant solutions. Sometimes the calling is is to believe the promises and to wait. And we're called to do that for the same reasons as Sarah, because the, the character character of God says that nothing is too difficult for him. But he moves and he works in his own time. They're called to wait one more year. They've already waited many, many years. But then we're left with a big blank space here, aren't we? The, the interaction moves on. We'll, we'll look at that next week. It's, a, it's an important uh, interaction. It's, it's worth uh, a week in itself. But it moves forward, and, and, and uh, we're left with this one big question uh, hanging in the air. Was God's ministry to Sarah effective? Did Sarah believe? You know, we're, we were told about Abraham back in, in chapter 15 that, that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But we're, we're not told that here about Sarah, are we? We're not told that, that Sarah believed and God credited to her as righteousness. We're, we're just, we're left with this, this blank space. But what we will see, spoiler alert, uh, is a child born in a year's time. It's a couple of chapters away, but, but he will be born to Sarah. Now, I think what we need to be clear about is, is, is the implications of, of what that means. And I'm, I'm not trying to be crass or, or gross in saying this, but what this means is that, that Sarah, by faith, entered into sexual union with her husband at an age where she, she believed herself to be beyond childbearing at an age where, where sex was, was frankly probably not very easy. Sarah, by faith, was obedient to the practical human side that, that God called her to and would use to fulfill his promises to her and to Abraham. And we're actually explicitly told that in, in some ways in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Hebrews 11 says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. You see, the blank space that we're left with gets filled, but the blank space matters. Because it's in those spaces that, that God calls us to, to live and to act in accordance with, with his promises and his calling to us. And I want to suggest to us that, that much of our lives are spent in those spaces which is why we need God to visit us and to minister to us in our unbelief so that we might be faithful as, as Sarah was faithful to live according to God's promises. And the beauty of life in God's promises is that, that he actually turns our laughter of, of derision into, into laughter of joy. And he does so because that's the kind of God he is. Just as he, he delivered his, his promise of a son to, to Sarah and to Abraham, so did he, he deliver his, his people in his promise of, of our salvation in Christ Jesus, his own son. So that's the kind of God he is. That's the character. It's an unchanging character in the Lord God Almighty. He's a God who abides with his people in the wilderness of this world, and he bears with our unbelief. He's a God who answers the, the question of, of a worn out barren woman shall I have pleasure 
with a resounding yes and you shall have so much more in him let us pray